Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Folks, explosions continue in Ukraine uh, as well as they battle Russian forces. Also, African immigrants trying to get out of the country. They say they're having problems. And also, a basketball player from Maryland. He is stuck there. He's trying to also uh, get out. We'll talk to his parents on the show as well. Plus, we'll talk with a deputy spokeswoman for the State Department, Jelena Porter, as well. So lots of stuff to cover. And we'll also have uh, a Russian black relations expert talk about uh, what's happening there as well. So we got it all covered for you, all different perspectives. You do not want to miss this conversation. Estee Lauder fires one of their senior executives for posting a joking racist meme. Yep. He made $10 million last year. He ain't got a job right now. I keep trying to tell these people. Stop tripping. A New York man gets a new trial after spending 24 years in prison for a crime he says he did not commit. Also, tomorrow's the beginning of Women's History and Women's History Month and Black Women's Appreciation Day. Talk with Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver uh, about how everyone can help black women overcome challenges so they can be more successful. Also, in our Fit Live Win segment, we're talking about uh, black skin care. Do you know what kind of skin you have and how to best care for it? We'll have an expert who'll break it all down for you. Folks, it's time to bring the funk on this last day of Black History Month. Well, we celebrate black history every day, so it really don't matter. On the Black Star Network, let's go. Whatever the- 
All right, folks, the world's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been swift and significant. Today, Switzerland will forego its commitment to Swiss neutrality uh, to adopt sanctions against Russia imposed by the European Union. Since the sanctions have begun, Russia's ruble has dropped no more than 30 percent. Also, the world soccer body FIFA and European Authority, they have banned Russian national clubs from participating even in qualifying for the World Cup until further notice. Uh, also, oil companies are also pulling out. Shell has announced they're also going to be pulling out as well in terms of one of the collaborations they're doing with Russia. A lot of different things happening, and of course, has a dramatic impact on what was happening here uh, in the United States. Joining us right now is the deputy spokeswoman for the State Department, Jelena Porter. Glad to have you here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. So let's uh, get right to it. I mean, this is there, there are a lot of people who don't quite get it or understand why the United States is not establishing a no-fly zone, not sending troops. And so explain to people what's really going on uh, in that regard. Well, number one, thank you for having me, Roland. I'm very happy to be here. I'll just start from the beginning. President Biden has made it clear from, from, for months now that we'll be united in our efforts with our allies and partners on making sure Europeans, our European partners, were protected and, and protecting the U Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity. Right now, we, you know, we don't have any announcements as far as no-fly zones. Of course, that might put our troops at risk. But for now, we, we continue to lean into the path to diplomacy, and we continue to hold Russia accountable for what it's done. Uh, but for folks who don't understand, Ukraine is not a part of uh, NATO. And so, uh, again, for folks who don't quite understand uh, international politics, what is NATO uh, and what are our responsibilities when it comes to NATO? So, well, you're right. Ukraine is not a part of NATO, and that's that's why Russia decided to invade. This all boiled down to President Putin wanting to invade and its neighbor of Ukraine and wanting to take ownership and, and moving forward in an unprovoked, premeditated war, a census war that we have no business of being in, all because Ukraine wants to join NATO. Uh, and uh, so this has been building up for quite some time. Uh, and so this so America's response was not all of a sudden last week or two. This has really been months in the making. Correct. We have been working for months now. We've been working um, on nonstop diplomacy at a multi-levels of government. You've had President Blinken, who's spoken several times with Ukrainian President Zelensky. You've had Secretary Blinken speak with his counterpart, Foreign Minister Kuleba. And, he, and in fact, he just spoke to him a few hours ago. We've seen United States Ambassador to the UN, Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, speak about this fervently at the UN Security Council. So we've engaged in nonstop diplomacy and coordinated coordination with our allies and partners for months now. Um, one of the things that we have been hearing, and we've been sort of looking at this as well in terms of um, uh, issues with uh, Africans trying to get out, African nations have been uh, responding, Nigeria, Jamaica, and others. Any information you have there, uh, how y'all have been working with uh, various African nations to make sure their, uh, their immigrants are taken care of? Well, listen, we have seen those unfortunate reports, and let me just say that any discrimination, especially at a time like this, at a time of a crisis, is completely inexcusable. What we've been doing, we've been working with UN partners on the ground. We've also been working with governments on the ground to make sure that Ukraine's partners, or Ukraine's neighbors, have the resources they need to help any third country nationals, to help any refugees cross the border peacefully, no matter where they're from, you know, whether they're South Asian, whether they're African, whether they're Middle Eastern, no matter where they're from, they'll have protections. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to be talking with the parents of a, of a young brother uh, from Maryland uh, who's actually trapped over there as well. Uh, and so what about Americans, in this case, this basketball player who is sitting here going, look, I'm, try I'm trying to get out. What do I do? Well, listen, I, I haven't seen the reports of the basketball player, but what I, what I can say is that the State Department's 
primary uh, concern is this, the health and safety of American citizens abroad. And of course, when it comes to folks stuck in Ukraine, we have our travel website, travel.state.gov. We encourage Americans who are still there to register for our smart travel enrollment program, STEP as we like to call it, so we can communicate with them one-on-one -on -one and to make sure they have all the resources they, resources they need to get out as soon as possible. Uh, the financial uh, sanctions have been significant. Uh, and we are seeing that continue uh, in, in, in a much broader way as well. Uh, and so uh, how critical has that been uh, to let Russia, let Putin know uh, that America does not appreciate what is happening there? Uh, and, uh, and, and will that continue? Well, listen, President Biden, like I said, he said from day one that should Russia choose this path to um, destruction, that this would happen, this would materialize. So we've been in lockstep with our international allies and partners, and it's not only us. It's been you know, Japan, it's been several other countries who've imposed these sanctions on Russia, and so now they're isolated. Their financial institutions are going to have costs. You know, their currency, as you mentioned before, is also going to deteriorate. So now President Putin has some firm decisions to make. One of the things that I was just in Liberia for, mm -hmm. for eight days, uh, and you also have actions taking place at the United Nations. So other countries, African countries, Caribbean countries, uh, are also uh, expressing uh, their viewpoint as well. And so uh, how, how has the United States, in terms of been rallying uh, those leaders to stand uh, with us and to stand with the world against uh, Russia? Well, again, I've mentioned U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who is our leader when it comes to Security Council issues. She has spoke against this you know, very, very much in the past couple of weeks, and she's been, you know, in the news. She's made sure that American values are at play and that we're working with our allies and partners to stand united with Ukraine. So the, um, so just a couple more questions for you. Uh, so in terms of, uh, in terms of next steps, uh, if there are individuals, because uh, I was looking at some WB, WNBA players who's mm -hmm. trying to get out as well, if there are individuals uh, who uh, are still there. Uh, you mentioned the website, but uh, who else should they be reaching out to uh, to be able to, and is there a particular place where they should be going? Uh, because I, some of the African Asians were suggesting uh, there's certain areas that have been a lot easier to get out of the country than others. Well, again, I, I haven't seen the reports of the WNBA players who are trying to get out. And again, I'll reiterate that the State Department, our foremost priority is making sure that Americans are safe. And so, you know, we encourage them to sign up for the STEP program so they can get accurate information on how to safely leave the country. Some of those details um, I won't get into for operational security reasons, but we do encourage them to sign up. So if uh, they have folks who are here uh, and they're having trouble reaching the folks there, what should the folks on this side uh, of the Atlantic Ocean, what should they be doing? So aside from encouraging their family and friends to sign up for this program, they should reach out to the, the, uh, the embassy and consulate there, which at this point in time, our embassy is functioning out of Poland for the safety and security of all of our officers who work there. But, you know, if they get into direct contact, they'll get into direct contact with us and make sure they have all the information they need. All right. Jelena Porter, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Uh, folks, this continues. Look, it's going to have an economic impact on us, whether we want to own up to it or not. You look at what's happening in terms of oil prices. Uh, and so the question many folks are, again, asking, what is going to be next? Uh, what do we do in this country? Uh, somebody may say, well, you know what? This really doesn't impact us, but it really it does. Because anything that happens across the world still has uh, imp impact on what we do uh, in this country. We're going to go now to... Uh, to uh, Max uh, Bergman. He is with the Center for American Progress. Max, uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, it, it's been very Thank interesting you. watching 
uh, what is taking place. Uh, you have folks, that, it's sort of like there's two worlds. You've got a Fox News world where you have all of these Republicans who all of a sudden are just loving Vladimir Putin, uh, who are just claiming, oh, just let him have it. Uh, but the reality is the world is standing firm, and President Joe Biden has done a hell of a job in terms of bringing uh, the world together and NATO together to uh, forcefully uh, counteract uh, Putin and Russia. I think I think you're exactly right. Look, the Biden administration has done a, a phenomenal job here. Uh, and, you know, I was somewhat actually critical of the Biden administration in the beginning part uh, as it came into office because it, it didn't necessarily want to focus on Russia. It wanted to establish a stable relationship with Vladimir Putin um, and, the, and the Russian government. It tried to do that. Uh, but what it's done over the last four or five months is really unite the world, and not just with our European allies. And what we see is how isolated Russia is and how isolated Vladimir Putin is. And they've done a masterful job at releasing intelligence about what, what Putin was planning, about uh, his efforts to sort of try to blame Ukraine for the conflict. And that has gone literally nowhere. And as someone who was in the State Department in 2014, I saw Russia do disinformation campaigns when it invaded Ukraine, and it had some success there. And this time, not at all. And the world has, has stood up and has uh, really taken incredibly strong action against Russia. And I think most analysts are really shocked at how strong the response is, but that's due to the Biden administration, to its, to its nonstop efforts over the last few months. You've got some folks uh, who, are, who are saying... I mean, again, I'm listening to some of these right-wing nuts. Oh, why aren't we sending in troops? Why aren't we doing a no-fly zone? Um, do they not understand that when America gets involved in a war, it takes it to another level? Right. And, and you know, I look, I am as empathetic as anyone with, you know, people on Twitter and social media wanting to do something, wanting to help uh, Ukraine. Uh, you know, I've been to Ukraine multiple times in... in you know, just my heart goes out to the people of Ukraine. But establishing a no-fly zone means war with Russia. And war with Russia means war with a peer nuclear power. And when Vladimir Putin puts his nuclear forces, increases the alert level on his nuclear forces, that's sending a clear message. And we don't know how that would unfold. Uh, and so I think you know, that's why President Biden did, I think, a very smart thing in simply taking the, the option of, of the U.S. intervening militarily to defend Ukraine. I also think there's a lot of just practical constraints here. The U.S. Air Force isn't, isn't right there. It would take a lot of effort for us to establish a no-fly zone. That well, means and, that and of American... course, let's not, let's not forget Donald Trump pulled 12,000 U.S. troops out of Germany. Right. Well, and then there was also... Just the, the lack of, of uh, building a strong alliance over the last four or five years. And I think in particular, what I am super concerned about is that the Russians may respond to our economic sanctions with cyber attacks back against the United States. And we spent the entire Trump administration not really doing anything on cybersecurity, not investing in, in the resilience that we need to really stand up to Russia, not preparing for an event, uh, for this sort of uh, situation. And so, you know, we wasted a lot of time under Donald Trump. We weren't focused on the right things. We Our alliance was divided. And the, Biden has done a lot in the last year, but in order to build the sort of cyber resilience to sort of uproot Russian uh, intelligence operations that have been targeting the United States for a long time, we needed to get to work much earlier, and we should have seen the writing on the wall in 2014 and 2016 when they attacked our election. 
All right then. Uh, so one of the last question for you, uh, Max, and that is, again, for the people who, who say, man, look, th this has no material impact on those of us in the United States, explain to them why that's simply not the case. So this has a, a, a tremendous impact uh, uh, on the United States and on us because, look, uh, what was at stake here was that Russia, if Russia could get away with simply invading a smaller democratic country, then big countries can start to invade smaller countries. And this is what we saw, I think, really eloquently expressed by African countries at the United Nations General Assembly, where we don't want a world where borders can just be redrawn because you have a stronger military. And we sort of forget that, that we live in actually, while there's conflict and violence, a fairly stable world where borders are respected, sovereignty is respected. Uh, and if not, then we're returning back to kind of a pre-1945, pre-World War II era. And that's just a really violent, dangerous place. Um, and that's not a world that we want to return to. So I think, I think that's sort of one of the main reasons. But, but it, it, you know, it, it also goes to just sort of broader concerns about European security, about uh, about a democracy that's uh, uh, and if we allow a democracy to just be dismembered, then where does Vladimir Putin stop? So I think that this conflict has been uh, a real wake up call for I think everyone around the world about the importance of democracy, about the importance of democracy sticking together uh, because they face real challenges from autocratic states around the world. All right, then, uh, Max Bergman, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Folks, um, we, we talked about people who are being impacted by this, and uh, we're going to go to a break. We come back, we're going to talk with the family uh, of a young man who's a basketball player there in Ukraine uh, who is stuck there. He is trying to get home, and so when we come back, we'll talk with his parents right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered over the Black Star Network. Don't you think it's time to get wealthy? I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show on the Black Star Network focuses on the things your financial advisor or bank isn't telling you. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. a chair take your seat the black tape with me dr greg carr here on the black star network every week we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in join the conversation only on the black star network 
Hey, I'm Antonique Smith. Hey, I'm Arnaz Jane. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin, unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really, it's Roland Martin. All right, folks, uh, we've been uh, looking at uh, a number of things that have been happening there uh, in Ukraine over the past uh, several days. Uh, and uh, one of the stories that jumped out was a uh, young man uh, who plays basketball uh, there, who uh, was all of a sudden caught in the middle of this. Uh, he played basketball at uh, Indiana uh, University. Uh, and again, it's one of those stories that when you when you see it, you're going, oh my goodness, you don't necessarily think about uh, people who have been uh, in, in these uh, various countries. Uh, there are folks who are playing basketball. There are people who are working there. Uh, we've seen the stories. We've been talking about these African immigrants uh, who have been there as well. And so all of a sudden, when war breaks out, it's what happens? What happens to them? What do they do? And so right now, uh, I want to uh, talk with uh, the parents uh, of this uh, young man, um, uh, Pammy and Michael Morgan. How you doing? Uh, how are both of you doing? Pretty good. How you doing? Uh, glad to have you uh, on the show. And so, uh, Maurice Mo Creek is uh, your uh, son. Uh, tell us, uh, where is he now? Uh, how is he? When have you last talked to him? He actually just FaceTimed me. And um, first of all, thank you for having us and um, really giving all praises to the Most High that um, he was actually to get through to me and tell me that he is free. He is in Moldova. He actually got through and he is in a vehicle on the other side of the border. So, so, in a vehicle on the other side, other side of the border, uh, and um, um, so how long has he been there? How long has he been playing there uh, in Ukraine? He's been playing um, in the Ukraine for uh, several years with several different teams, but this particular team, he had just left here on the 18th of January. Uh, and so I'm just told that we, we actually have uh, Maurice uh, on the phone. Maurice, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm quite sure you're doing a heck of a lot better than I am. Uh, you've been safe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm safe and sound now. Uh, I'm so happy to be out of Ukraine. And um, now I'm heading to Romania. Uh, I'm in the car, uh, safe and sound. So I'm, I'm just feeling great right now. I feel so relieved. It had to be a harrowing experience. Uh, for you to for you to be there for you to as, as war breaks out just take us through what your life has been like for the past week um it's been crazy I ain't gonna, I'm, I'm one of the most crazy experiences I've ever had in my life um you know when you go through stuff like that you just do know if you gonna make it back you know anything you can do is just pray you know what I mean and I'm just thankful I'm on the other side of it now. I don't worry about no bombs, no shootings, no none of that. You know what I mean? I don't have to worry about going into war anymore. I don't have to worry about you know, being safe on this road, on this drive I got, and, you know, getting back to my family. Uh, as, we, as you were talking, uh, your dad is getting uh, quite emotional. Uh, just listening to you uh, share your story. Uh, 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 go, go right ahead there, uh, Michael. Oh, no. You... <laughs> no. 
And to have your son out there like that? And him? Oh. Oh, man. It's been a roller coaster. It's it's been unbelievable. We are literally sleep deprived. Right. We were falling asleep <laughs> before the show came oh, on. Both of us. Um, look, I, I, I absolutely can understand that. Um, Maurice, as this as this was developing, I mean, were you trying to get out, or were was the team trying to help help you other players get out? Were you, were were there other Americans uh, on the team? Um, what was happening uh, in the last week? Um, it wasn't it wasn't last week when everybody started getting out. Um, but the team the. It was just a, a messy situation. Oh, you know, a lot of the guys just um, got out when they felt like, you know what I'm saying, it was time to get out. And me, because I got there so late, I was kind of in a total different situation than them. I couldn't just say, hey, I'm just going to leave when I want to leave. And, um, it just was a bad situation for me because I didn't really – have the funds that I needed to have to, to, to get out, you know what I mean, that I was supposed to be getting from the team and everything. Everybody else was, you know what I'm saying, been there for months. You know what I mean, me being a, a player who just got in, who helped them a lot, they didn't really Um, So, you know, with that being said, they was you know, not trying to let me go. They was having these meetings with me stating they were trying to let me go. You know, my agent had told them that I was trying to go. They still were trying to let me go. And I, I had a last meeting with them, and they just basically was trying to tell me, like, they believed that nothing was going to hurt. They, and I, I just felt like they didn't really consider them life first, basketball the second. They considered basketball first, life second. And I just the situation at hand like that. You know, when you're doing business with a basketball player, it doesn't matter what you feel. It matters the person on the side feels because at the end of the day, we are the ones that have to go there. We are the ones who have to win games. We are the ones who have to go and practice every day. You know what I mean? So if we're doing it for you, you should be able to understand, like, you know, if we're in an uncomfortable situation, like how we were, how all of us just, and not just, but everybody. And I just felt like they didn't consider that. They just um, took it into their own hands to put their, I mean, our lives in their hands. There are a number of people uh, who don't realize the, the number of international basketball players, folks who are playing all around the world. Uh, there are w, WNBA players who play on Russian teams. Uh, and and obviously uh, you uh, want to get home as soon as possible. Um, you may not have, uh, you know, if this crossed your mind, but uh, is this giving you second thoughts about playing uh, across uh, internationally? First of all, if, if only you could see your uh, not... if, if only you could see your mama's face right now. <laughs> if only you could see your mama's face and your daddy's face right now. But go ahead. I I know. I know. I know what they. I know what they would say. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disclose that. That's something that me and my family really have to talk about. Um, you know, it's just. It's it's scary though. That's all. That's what I will say. It's a very scary situation. Just. 
Looks like you we, know what I'm saying? Yep. To me, it was going to be in the back of my mind, like, do I even want to go through a situation like that ever again? I'm not talking about it. And then me, um, have the now for that. Not again to get home and talk to my parents. I know they're, they're, I they're thinking in the back of it. But days that we're going to talk about family and. Well, I'll probably tell you this here, Maurice. It's not in the back of the head. No, it's not. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> go, go right ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the whole city knows. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure, uh, again, that's a conversation uh, that y'all are going to have. Uh, and, of course, with, uh, with the G League here in the United States and uh, other efforts, uh, I'm, I'm quite sure y'all going to be saying, son, it's time for you to stay home. Uh, it had must be had to be, of course, a, a harrowing experience uh, for all of you involved. Uh, Maurice, we're glad uh, that you've gotten out of that area. You're on your way uh, to safety. Uh, and um, again, be sure to uh, stay safe uh, on those roads. And uh, and again, I'm sure uh, your parents cannot wait to see you uh, back in on safe ground in Maryland. For sure. Thank you. All right, then. Well, first of all, uh, glad, the Morgans, I'm glad to have y'all on the show as well. Uh, look, it, it is, um, look, bottom line is uh, very few people have had to experience this. Uh, families that have had uh, children who are in the military understand this, but it's a whole lot different uh, when you send your son abroad to play basketball and all of a sudden a war breaks out. Absolutely. All you got is a ball. Yeah. And uh, when you see a text message come through that says, Mom, I love you. I mean, it was awful. And then he shows us what this bomb shelter looks like. I mean, it was unbelievable. Crazy. And it's like, this is never going to happen to you in a million years. And then it ends up happening to us. It is unbelievable. Uh, indeed. Um, indeed. Well, I'm sure, uh, look, um, y'all haven't gotten any sleep. Uh, you might get yeah. some, but I wouldn't be surprised if the two of you uh, are not going to really get some rest until uh, your son is in your arms and in the house. Uh, I can't wait. Tie down to a chair. Duct tape, too. I understand. Understand. Well, Pammy and uh, Michael, I appreciate you joining us on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Uh, and again, we certainly are thankful uh, that your son is out of Ukraine and on his way to safety. Thank you. All right. Thank you so very much. All right. We're going to bring in uh, uh, my panel now, uh, folks. Uh, and see, this is the thing that uh, for a lot of folks who are watching, again, when you hear these stories, not really understanding uh, in terms of how, what, the, what the impact is, uh, so, Dr. Julianne Malvo, she's the Dean of College of Ethnic Studies at California State University, Los Angeles. Dr. Omakongo Dabinga, professorial lecturer, School of uh, International Service, American University. Reverend Jeff Carr, founder of the Infinity Fellowship in Nashville, Tennessee. Glad to have all three of you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to start uh, with you, Omakongo. Uh, and, and the thing here is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we'll get to Omakongo uh, in a bit, but I want to go to, uh, I'll start with Jeff. Jeff, the, you know, it's interesting when I look at how people are commenting, how they're on social media, and how they are they're weighing in. 
And then when you see this family, then when you see the treatment of African immigrants, uh, and then when pe people now begin to understand, oh, yeah, you're thinking you're saying uh, all of these, uh, uh, these white folks in Ukraine without realizing the impact of African immigrants, people who are traveling all across the world, and, and how we are all connected, if you will. Yes, indeed. And, and first off, man, welcome back. It's the first time I've been able to be on with you since you got back from the motherland. I'm glad you made it back safe and sound. Uh, and I'm so glad I speak to the family, uh, especially Brother Creek's family, the Morgans there, that they recognize and remember and know that the entire Roland Martin Unfiltered universe right now, online, on every social media platform, they're sending prayers. We are proclaiming a safe journey. We're making sure that as soon as possible, your son is going to be in your home. Everything is working together for the good. All of that is in alignment. So just know that people from all over the world who watch this show on Black Star Network are covering you and protecting you right now. And we proclaim in advance that this is going to be a great situation that everyone is going to learn from. 2010, uh, Haiti or Haiti. I was down there on a project we were building for uh, a space that had collapsed, an orphanage there in the Delmas 22 neighborhood. And we were down there building, uh, and there was a presidential election coming right after the earthquake. It was when Michael Martelli got uh, elected. And right up to that election, when you talk about a war, it can happen with turmoil around political uh, elections as well. And I'll never forget this feeling of being stranded. I try not to manifest fear. I'll say the only thing I fear is not reaching my goals in life. But, buddy, when you're in an armored car with an escort trying to move through crowds and every single person is trying their best to get to an airport so they can just get to Miami, just get 45 minutes across the water, there is no feeling like being caught and trapped in a foreign place that you're not used to and you don't have access to resources to get out of there. So my heart goes out to that family, but it also goes out to those who are struggling now to get into Poland, the immigrants who are trying to get across into, into Belarus, the conversations that are taking place internationally and globally now with what has become very thankfully, an information war more than it has even a physical war. So these conversations that we're having, the pressure that is coming from social media, we are actually able to now make this connection globally with people who are in Ukraine, people who are in South Africa, people who are in Nigeria, Ghana, people who are Afghans who are also had some issues getting in and out of the country over the last several days, the four days since the war started. We are now seeing that all of this impacts all of us wherever we are. So I'm glad to see now that the conversation is taking place and that we are now able to input how important it is for us to connect with people across the world and to recognize that it really, truly could happen to any one of us. Um, on the Congo, um, the African Union uh, released this statement with regard to the treatment of African immigrants. Uh, and this uh, was released about five hours ago. Uh, if y'all can go to my... Go Go to my computer, please. Uh, and uh, the current chair of the African Union is the president of, of Senegal, H.E. Uh, Macky Sall. Uh, and this, this is what uh, they said, that all people have the right to cross international borders during conflict and as such should enjoy the same rights to cross to safety from the conflict in Ukraine, notwithstanding their nationality or racial identity. Reports that Africans are singled out for unacceptable dissimilar treatment would be shockingly racist and in breach international law. In this regard, 
The chairpersons urge all countries to respect international law and show the same empathy and support to all people fleeing war, notwithstanding their racial identity. The chairpersons commend the efforts by African Union member state countries and their embassies in neighboring countries to receive and orientate African citizens and their families trying to cross the border from Ukraine to safety. Um, this, if we have the video, please, uh, of one of the officials from Jamaica uh, who uh, released a video uh, earlier today with regards to 24 Jamaican students uh, who uh, were trapped in Ukraine. This is what she had to say. Good night, Jamaica, and good night, friends of Jamaica, all of you who have been following uh, the journey of our students in Ukraine. Um, giving God thanks tonight that all 24 are now on the bus on their way to Krakow, where accommodations will be waiting for them. Our charge is there, our friends of uh, Jamaica have been uh, of the greatest assistance and they've had something warm and they are in a, a comfortable uh, bus on their way. So again, thank you for all your prayers so far. Keep them up as we still have a little ways to go, but they are uh, on their way and we give thanks. Chef Jose Andres, uh, of course, they are there uh, feeding folks as well. And he actually caught up with one of the African immigrants. Uh, and then this is a video that he posted on his Twitter account. Uh, I just met her here. She's been walking like many others from for many, many hours, if not many days, because the situation is difficult to leave Ukraine to come because there's no, no cars, no gas, and many other issues, I guess. But I was asking her, because they were saying that if Poland and other countries were not allowing uh, citizens from different countries, especially of Africa, and what do you have to tell us about that? Um, do you actually face any problem coming here? We just got to the border and we entered. And then we just had to stamp our visas and everything. And so I met some people from Congo that were with her. I saw some people from Jamaica. I saw people from India, uh, uh, from different countries around the world. But I've seen people from different countries in Africa. And I agree with her. Everybody's telling me, no problem. So. Don't worry, we're trying to, the government of Poland, other governments, they're trying to do the best to take care of the people. And uh, thank you for sharing this with you. And best of luck. Makongo, uh, again, when you, when you hear these stories, uh, it's important uh, for us to let these countries know, no, you're not going to sit here and let 280,000 Ukrainians cross the border, but deny African immigrants. Absolutely. And quite honestly, Roland, it disconnects to your whole trip to Liberia. And it's great to see you. And thanks for everything you did on this trip to build this diasporic connection. I've heard so many African-Americans talk about, oh, that's their war. We don't have to care about that. We don't got time to think about that. But there's black people over there as well. And we have seen with other embassies, African embassies that have stepped up, we have to take care of our own because when it comes down to it, folks will abandon us at, at the slightest opportunity that they have. I'm really wondering if there are Italian students and students from the UK and, and places like that, who and Irish students who had no problems possibly getting across the border. It's not fair and it's not right. And furthermore, we have to understand that, as you mentioned, people from Congo, from all over the world, if we don't step up to demand that we are treated with respect 
at every step of this juncture, people are going to step all over us. But right now, people who are from the Ukraine and people across the Ukrainian diaspora in America are calling for us to stand with them and fight with them and pledge solidarity with them. And I do, 100%. I don't want to see any sovereign nation get taken over. I don't want to see anything that Putin's doing as it relates to his, his, his monstrous and dictatorial inclinations to try to take over the world. I don't want to see that put on Ukraine as well. But look, it goes both ways. If you want to get that empathy from us, you got to make sure that you're treating everybody the same. And so I commend those African nations that have stepped up to help take care of the South Africans and the other folks there who are having those troubles. And for all the black folks out there, we got to understand that we are part of a global community. The whole trip to Liberia was about that. You're welcome there as family, as an African son. And we are across the world. And right now in the Ukraine, I, like I said, I support the Ukrainian people 100 percent, but we got to make sure that we get our support there as well, because we, if we're all in this together, we really got to be all in this together. Uh, Julian, uh, we're seeing uh, folks at uh, Reuters and Al Jazeera are reporting uh, of these uh, African immigrants, uh, Nigerians and others, saying uh, they have a video of actually uh, African immigrants being kicked off of trains in Poland as they were trying to flee. This is an uh, Al Jazeera headline. Uh, Nigerian students reported guards giving priority to Ukrainians on evacuation trains and denying entry to Poland, which has taken in 327,000 Ukrainians. Roland, first of all, welcome back. Uh, great work in Liberia. We're really happy that you were there. And you underscored a point about our connections. The fact is that we do live in an international world. What happens here happens there. What did Dr. King say? The mutual garment, uh, your mutuality. And that's where we are. So given that, we as black folks have to care about what's happening in Ukraine. And as Omakongo says, we also have to step up for our black folks, brown folks, who are stuck in Ukraine and who are essentially experiencing global anti-blackness. And that's what it is, is global anti-blackness. Now, when we look at this nonsense, and that's what it is, a nonsense of differential treatment, what we have to look at is the ways that the United States can play a role in stopping this anti-blackness. If we're sending money over there, which we are, we're not sending troops, but we are sending money. There have to be conditions, and the conditions are that people are treated equally. I mean, we're going into Ukraine or engaging with Ukraine because we oppose what Putin, with his nasty self, and Russia are doing. We're opposed to it because they're basically taking over a sovereign country. But then when you expel people, when you say you have human rights for Ukraine, but what about the black folks like the young brother and his family that you just interviewed or so many others? If you believe in human rights, then you must believe that if there's a queue to get on a train... And in fact, in fact, the video that we're playing is from Twitter of African immigrants stranded at the train station. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, it, so our money has to come with conditions. And the conditions have to be that you treat black people in Ukraine who are trying to leave there the same way you treat Ukrainians and Polish people and other people. It is unconscionable. And I, you had a young sister on earlier, uh, Jelena Porter, I believe her name was, who um, talked about what the Biden administration is doing. One of the things that they must do if we, as black people who are taxpayers, support this, is they must say, we will treat people equally. We insist on that. 
this picture is Roland. It reminds me of the police officer who took the young sister by her dreads and pulled her. We can't have that when we're spending money. That's just 50, 56, is it million or bill? Anywhere. More money going to Ukraine. I'm mad at them. I'm mad at them. They deserve it. But they also deserve to treat black people fairly. Well, and to, and, to, and, to, and to your point, what we have been, I mean, look, we've had members of Congress talking about uh, an aid package uh, for, for Ukraine, for that region, for humanitarian purposes, anywhere from four to six to seven billion dollars. So, yes. uh, yeah, America can absolutely uh, put conditions on that as well. And anytime we document, anytime we document this kind of disparate treatment, well, we also ought to say, okay, we were going to give you $6 billion. Now we're going to give you 5.9. And every time we see some of this nonsense, 5.8, 5.7, 5.6, what do you want, your survival or equality? You must treat black people fairly. Um, and this is video from a couple of days ago uh, of stranded uh, African immigrants uh, as they were hiding uh, in tunnels there in Ukraine. And, and the thing uh, there, Jeff, many people, I mean, people may be asking, okay, well, why are they there? Well, guess what? Uh, they're students. They're studying to be engineers, doctors. Uh, it's, uh, you know, cheaper for them to go to college, go to school there. And so uh, that's the thing. I mean, it was very interesting when I was, um, uh, when I was um, uh, uh, traveling, we were flying and, uh, you know, we fl flew, le left the United States, uh, and um, as so there, there was like a 3D image there uh, on our Air France plane uh, as we were approaching Paris. And there's so many people here, frankly, let's just be honest, uh, who ain't never left, left the country, they ain't never seen the map. Uh, and, and, the, and the thing that's, that's interesting when, when you talk about uh, these countries, when you talk about uh, the proximity, if you will, uh, of these countries, I mean, so, you know, we, we think in terms of just uh, states here uh, in uh, the United States, uh, as opposed to, I mean, so, uh, so, so, so take a look at this uh, map right here, all right? And so if y'all could zoom in, that'd be great. Uh, and so if, when you look at where Ukraine is, and so when you, so when you think about uh, Hungary, Hungary, Austria, France, I mean, literally the distance from Ukraine to Paris uh, hell, it's, 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 it's shorter than going from the East Coast to the West Coast here in the United States. Uh, and so that's, that's the thing that, that we don't realize. So there are a significant number of African immigrants who are all, who are all across uh, Europe in all of those countries. Well, you also look at proximity. I mean, you already said it. And when we connect this thing globally, as both uh, Brother Omicongo and Sister Julianne uh, spoke about, this connection, if you tilt if you tilt that camera down or you zoom that map down, what's below the boot heel of Italy? You see North Africa, right? This is, so we're, we're not far away. We're not talking about a country that is separated from a continent like we're separated here in America. This diaspora notion, uh, this diaspora notion of understanding who we are and how we are connected is important anytime we analyze geopolitics and we say, where's Ukraine? What does Ukraine have to do with us? Well, look, Ukraine regionally is on the top to the north of Africa. Yeah, so, right, that's so, why on, so on this map right here, on this map right? right here, you'll see it. So you'll see Ukraine is at, at the top there, uh, and then yes, you'll see uh, look, uh, you, Algeria, Morocco. Yeah. So Libya. when you look, you, right, when you look at uh, where Turkey is and where Syria, Iraq, and all of a sudden you go into Egypt, Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, yeah. 
Indeed, and that's where it is. So that's where people are. But you also look at Ukraine, and you talk about Ukraine from a space of exit from the former Soviet Union. And you look at 1990, 1991, when you had this USSR, some, some uh, elected officials have, have still referred to uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin as a Soviet and the Soviet Union. Uh, that there's got to be a memo to go out for that for elected mm -hmm. officials. But when you talk about them proclaiming their independence in 1990-91, what do they have to offer to the world? This is why you have to understand supply chain issues. Many of us are feeling the pain. I I've got uh, the minivan fueled up yesterday, and I said, something has changed in this world because this gas is killing me. It's gone up 10 cents a gallon on the national average here. When you talk about Belgium, you talk about France, you talk about Germany, they have absorbed the, the punishment and have been willing to absorb the punishment at the gas pump because of what they received from Russia and from them saying, we're going to have these sanctions in place, but we're going to feel it over here. Ukraine, number one in uranium reserves that are recoverable, uh, number one in Europe in the production of ammonia. You want a clean house around the world, that's going to affect, affect the, the supply chain. Number three in the production of corn. Uh, how do you like your corn? You, do you want to be able to roast some corn this summer? This is a supply chain issue for the entire world, and this is why we have to come together to understand that a country that you don't really hear about in our daily conversation is also responsible for 75,000 pounds of bee production every single year, something that uh, affects the agrarian economy all over the world. This is a key piece of real estate, and that is why Vladimir, uh, uh, Vladimir is over there, Putin, on the rest of Europe, to try to gain control of this space. Thankfully, we have this conversation going in a place like this. This is how powerful the Internet is. Uh, absolutely. I want to go to uh, Kimberly St. Julian yeah, Varnon. Yeah. Uh, she is uh, an expert in race and blackness in USSR uh, and also is a review editor for uh, H Ukraine. And so glad to have you here. Uh, first and foremost, uh, just give us your, your thoughts and perspective on, on the racial dynamics that we are seeing play out uh, there as these African immigrants are trying to get out of Ukraine, uh, the, the resistance they're getting in Poland and how they're being treated. So for people who have no understanding of this part of the world. Um, thank you for having me. And unfortunately, for someone who does know a lot about this part of the world, this isn't surprising. Um, so we, the issues of racism that we're seeing at the Polish border in particular, but there are also some reports out the Hungarian border. Um, I was worried about this last week um, when the, the threat of war was possible. Um, so... Ukraine, unfortunately, and Poland and Russia, um, you know, a lot, all of them have problems with anti-black racism, but also anti-Roma racism. Um, but Ukraine also does have a very large African student population. There's also an Afro-Ukrainian population. And so what we're seeing playing out at the border is kind of the worst case scenario. You have the chaos of war. You also have um, a very understaffed border, um, you know, bureaucracy in both Ukraine and in Poland. And so I've been following online some of the videos um, that have been posted about what's going on at the border. And so the racism that we're seeing, it's not surprising. It's actually, you know, kind of to be expected. 
But what has been a pleasant surprise is I've, I've been following particularly an African student who was taught, he's been posting for the past three days, but he posted today that they did, that his um, group, they did make it over the Polish border and they were treated very well by the Poles and by the Ukrainians on the other side. It seems that they're having their problems with these officials. So you're kind of seeing a new form of more structural racism. It's not new, but you're... Um, that are really impacting these African students, um, but also Roma students, uh, Roma residents. So it's very complicated, but the racial dynamics, I think, are really clear. And unfortunately, this is not new for Eastern Europe. Um, Poland has had problems with anti-Black racism. And just, you know, in December, we saw Syrian refugees freezing to death on the Belarus-Polish border because Poland wouldn't let them in and Belarus didn't want them. So unfortunately, this was predictable just from that uh, episode alone in December, but from the long history of uh, we've seen, uh, especially over the past 10 years, of kind of anti-Black racism in this part of the world. And also, for folks that need to understand, Vladimir Putin is a white nationalist. Oh, yes. Vladimir Putin <laughs> believes in a white world. Uh, that's why it's no shock to see so many Republicans uh, touting and praising Vladimir Putin. Oh, yes. Um, and I've written about this so often some of the white supremacist language we see in the United States, it's them parroting what they, you know, I'm sorry, in Russia is what we've seen in the United States. Um, you see a lot of shared talking points between the right in Russia and the right in America, and all of them, what they have in common is this dedication to white supremacy. And so when we see how Putin talks about Ukraine, and one of the reasons he looks down on Ukraine is because Ukraine has always been a multilingual, multi-ethnic state. And so we should, and when people ask me, why should I care about Russia if I'm black in America? Because Putin's talking points become the talking points of bots that are undermining our democracy in 2016, right? So we have to pay attention to this because he's using American understandings of race and white supremacy to undermine our democracy, but also to harm people of color inside of Russia. Well, it's very interesting uh, to, to watch all of this play out um, uh, on Macongo and, and to see uh, how so many folks uh, on the right uh, are full embracing uh, of this. Uh, there was a poll that was taken where 6% of Trump voters uh, are praising President Joe Biden for his leadership uh, when it comes to this. Uh, and it's interesting. So, you know, Bill Maher said last week that we should really be sensitive and to really try to persuade the people who voted for Trump. And I'm going, no, 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 no. Because when you listen to their rhetoric, I mean, you, you turn on Fox News, thank God for Jen Griffin, uh, who is doing a hand-to-hand -hand yeah. combat, uh, because they got folks on the air who say, oh, no, just let, let Putin take Ukraine. It's no big deal. Let him have it. I mean, people need to understand. I talk about my book coming out in the fall called White Fear. These folks want a white world. Everything that we're talking about with the changing demographics in the United States, Europe has been dealing with that for the past decade. And there's been a severe backlash in France, in Italy, in Germany, in all of these countries of African immigrants uh, coming because also the white folks are dying off. Yep. Oh, ab absolutely. And it's very interesting going to your first part about, about the Republicans. You know, Malcolm Nance talks about this a lot. These Republican senators and these leaders of these white supremacist groups, they're in Russia on the regular. And these congressmen, they have strong relationships with Russia. He said once that Donald Trump, they've been surveilling him since there was a Soviet Union since 1977 when he married Ivanka. So they've always had their 
their their fingernails deep into these Republican spaces and places. And like like our professor said here, they are just parroting everything. This is a, what we're talking about, Victor Orban. This is a global movement right now of white supremacy. And in the United States, it's Tucker Carlson, who's on Russia TV, like, nightly now, and Donald Trump, who are the ringleaders in the United States. I think it's also important to remember that when we talk about these African immigrants, so many people, not here tonight, but want to paint Africans as people who are over there just because their situation at home is terrible and they want to get out there and get help. No, let's also remember that a lot of these European countries are geostrategically trying to get on the African continent as well to continuously exploit us for our resources. And Russia's doing the same thing. China's doing the same thing. I mean, these were the foundations of slavery, trying to exploit Africa for its resources. So people can't just look at it as these are some poor African immigrants just over there trying to better their lives. These European countries, whether we're talking about Italy, whether we're talking about France, whether we're talking about the Ukraine, whether we're talking about Russia, they are trying to build their strategic alliances with the African continent as well. And so these African nations need to realize that they are stronger than they know as it relates to the bargaining power that they have in terms of demanding respect from these countries. And that's why I'm glad that these stories are getting out, because quite honestly, Roland, I've been driving around a lot today, just getting the kids around and all of that. All of these networks I was listening to haven't heard one story about how we're being treated over there. Well, and, and, and the thing that um, is, is important here, uh, when we talk about uh, what we're seeing, when we talk about uh, what, what is developing, and, 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 and again, I love these people who say, oh, you shouldn't really talk about these things. Kimberly, you cannot ignore whiteness. You cannot ignore that. When you heard, uh, when you listened to the language, the CBS News correspondent who called the area civilized compared to Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, people listen to the words that are being used to describe uh, this. There was a video floating around the Ukrainian official talking about uh, fighting for white, blonde, uh, blue-eyed folks there in Ukraine. Listen to what people are saying. One of the things that's important to understand is the history of black people in Europe. We've been in Europe forever. Uh, there's mm -hmm. documentation from the 16th, 17th century when they were taking our people to Europe. So to act like we're foreigners, no, just like we built these United States, we have been woven into European history, and the ignorance that flows from mainstream media is galling. Kimberly? Um, I agree, and I think it's important to recognize, like, there is an Afro-Ukrainian population, and they've been there, you know, for decades. There is a, a, a large Afro-Russian, you know, population. So when people like to portray Ukraine as white, they're erasing these populations, you know. But as I said on social media, let's understand, like, this is also about proximity to whiteness, and Ukraine has only recently been recognized as white. So this Ukrainian, uh, you know, member of government who was saying, you know, white, blue-eyed children... There actually aren't that many white, blue-eyed children in Ukraine, but also this is a new ability to claim whiteness that Ukraine hasn't had for years. Um, so it, Ukraine suffers from white supremacy just as, you know, African-Americans suffers from white supremacy. So these people of color in Ukraine are constantly being erased in this conversation, um, and, and it's really harmful to them. Jeff? Yeah, indeed. I wanted to ask Dr. Kimberly because you, you, thank you so much for the work that you've put in and the context that you bring into the conversation. Is there organization amongst people of African descent in Ukraine? Are there 
organizations that are pushing to make sure that there are equal rights there? What does the landscape look for global people of African descent there in Ukraine or Eastern Europe? So unfortunately, and this is a problem when you work in Eastern Europe in general, particularly Ukraine and Russia, which is where I focus, um, you don't actually identify as a race um, when it comes to census materials and things like that. So we don't have a specific number. And if you know, how can you claim systematic racism if you don't have a number, right? So there are some groups that I've seen, um, like particularly at, at particular universities where there is a large contingent of African students, like in Lviv and Kiev and Kharkiv, um, and Kiev and Kharkiv are being bombarded right now. Um, but there also is like a, a small but growing community for Afro-Ukrainians. I know there's one based in uh, Kiev. So you do have these small groups, but they just don't have enough pull to kind of, you know, get these resources that are really necessary uh, that they need at the border. So what I've been trying to do through my social media is to compile um, consulate and embassy resources for various African countries um, for these students who, once they get to the border, they have a contact number or, or, you know, some type of information that they can have with them. But also when people have, have asked me, you know, I have a cousin who's in um, Sumi, which was bombarded heavily for the past few days, you know, where can they go? You know, I, I have to say stay because trying to get from Eastern Ukraine or Western Ukraine right now is very difficult. So I think the social media presence is actually helping. So for those of us who aren't on the ground in Ukraine right now, we're still doing our part to help them because they don't have those concrete groups on the ground. All right, then. Uh, well, look, uh, we certainly appreciate uh, you joining us uh, to offer perspective on this. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, certainly watch uh, what happens there. Uh, Kimberly St. Julian Barnan, uh, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, got to go to a break. We come back. Um, an Estee Lauder executive made about $10 million last year. Then he decided to share a racist meme on Instagram. He ain't got no job today. I'm explaining to you exactly uh, what took place. We'll show that to you. Also, uh, breaking news. Uh, we were supposed to have Grambling head coach uh, Hugh Jackson and new offensive coordinator Art Bryles on today's show to talk about his hiring. Bryles has now resigned. We'll tell you about that and discuss it as well. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network.
am Pastor Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, of course, uh, black and missing, uh, we always are focused on that. Uh, young lady, five foot three, weighing 120 pounds, uh, has been, of course, uh, black hair, brown eyes. Uh, Lexis Leonard, been missing from Baltimore since February 23rd. Uh, again, missing from Baltimore City. Uh, folks, if there's any information, any information regarding her whereabouts, 301-396-2525. 301-396-2525. Uh, uh, so please, if you got any information, please uh, call the Baltimore City Police Department. All right, uh, some breaking news out of Grambling. Uh, we were supposed to today talk with Hugh Jackson, who is the head football coach uh, at Grambling, uh, about the hiring of Art Bryles, uh, of course, who is the former head coach at Baylor, who was fired after a massive uh, sex scandal there uh, involving uh, a number of players uh, who were uh, accused of raping students. Again, very lurid charges. Uh, he's been out of football really for the last six years. He had coached, uh, he got hired by a Canadian team, then uh, uh, was let go because of, the, uh, because of the outrage. And when he got uh, hired at Grambling, um, that caused a lot of controversy. Doug Williams, the great at Grambling, say, stated that he could not support the team whatsoever. A uh, lot of stuff going back and forth. Over the weekend, Hugh Jackson, who is, of course, the head football coach there, uh, released this statement through his foundation, uh, laying out the reasons why he chose to offer the job uh, to uh, Art Bryles. And so uh, what that letter says, folks, uh, is this. And again, this came from his foundation. Uh, the Hugh Jackson Foundation has been dedicated to fighting against all forms of sexual abuse and exploitation, as well as other forms of racial and social bias. We have a clear understanding of the role that coaches and others who have a position of trust play in the lives of those uh, they meet. Then he also said the recent hire of Coach Browse is a testament, uh, scroll up please, uh, is a testament to the importance of these key factors, forgiveness, redemption, uh, and enlightenment. That took place over the weekend. I got a phone call, though, last night. Uh, that uh, Browse was out uh, as the office of coordinator and uh, about uh, uh, shortly before 6 p.m. 
uh, a Grambling spokesman announced that Browse had resigned uh, as offensive coordinator. Uh, the, the thing here, uh, Julian, that uh, I said to a number of different people was that um, a lot of sports outrage, obviously, over Browse being hired. But I said, look, folks got to remember, Grambling is a state institution. So the hiring has to get approved by Board of Regents. I said, once the politicians start weighing in, that is going to change. That's exactly what happened here. And so today, Browse stepped, stepped down. A lot of people have been very critical of Hugh Jackson and Grambling for hiring Art Browse uh, because of uh, his role uh, there at Baylor. Uh, your thoughts. Uh, should, it happened, of course, six years ago. There still is a, a, st a standing lawsuit. Um, but should Browse be given a shot to coach football again at a major university? Not, Roland, not at this time. As long as the lawsuits are still there, there is something that's unresolved. There are people who are aggrieved, who are suing. Um, hiring him at a state university is a challenge, and it will be challenged. I don't, th I mean, I, I, the memo from Hugh Jackson is a good memo. It talks about redemption and forgiveness, and I do think that that is important. People do deserve second chances. But at the same time, I think that when you are talking about a state university where taxpayer dollars are going to support that university, that people have to be enormously cautious about what they bring to the table. And so maybe in two, three, four years, maybe after the lawsuits are settled, but no, not right now. I think that his resignation was on time. It shows self-awareness. But frankly, I think that those who hired him had their heads in the sand. He may be talented. I'm sure he's talented. You know I'm not a sports person. But, no, he um, is. I mean, he's, I mean look, <laughs> look, he revived the Baylor football team, uh, brought them to national prominence. It is an absolutely uh, outstanding offensive uh, mind. Uh, but the reality, uh, Jeff, everywhere he's gone, efforts to hire him has been thwarted uh, because uh, many people say he should never coach young men again because of the issues with that Baylor football team. Yes, indeed. And it's important to note that he wasn't found necessarily guilty of any NCAA infractions, but he was part of a culture and responsible for a culture of underreporting and protecting people who were committing these crimes. And so the jury's still out, as Dr. Malvo said. But with redemption in mind, we're seeing a pattern here. There's tremendous amount of pressure to win football games. And when you have a guy who was coach of Baylor, as you said, he put base, he basically put Baylor on the map from 2008 to 2015. Uh, he had a record of 65 and 37. He had their first two Big 12 conference championships, won his game on New Year's Eve, uh, was a hero, seen as a hero until the downfall came. And when the downfall came, we see this repeated pattern. A Canadian team hired him in 2017. They had to relent to pressure. They had the pressure that came. They had to just say, we can't take this here. Uh, 2019, Southern Miss tried to hire him again. Again, when you get second and third chances like this, I will say it must be nice to get this many chances, right? Oh. So you get this chance in 2019. I mean, it must be nice. But 2019, you get another chance, Southern Miss. And Southern Miss said, you know, we're going to cave to pressure, and we can't even bring you in. Grambling, uh, Hugh Jackson, a brilliant offensive mind. He was down the street at my alma mater last year with my former uh, student, Eddie George, and decided he was it was time for him to move forward with Grambling, and he wanted to win. 
So he looks at Browse and says, you know what? This guy has a proven record. He tried it. But once again, the third strike has shown you that right at this time, he's just not hireable no matter how much he wins on the field. There's something to say about how we are moving toward an evolutionary space where we are speaking up for women more. We're speaking up for Title IX issues that have been violated. And in this environment right now, it's just not time for him to step back on the football field. You know what, Omakongo? I think uh, what Art Browse is going to have to do is um, uh, he is going to have to, and, and, and again, I've gotten lots of emails uh, from folks talking about uh, how they are singling him out in terms of these reports, uh, how there, was, there were many other examples of abuse happening at Baylor that went beyond the five cases everybody keeps mentioning. But this is one of the things that, frankly, if you're Art Browse, you're going to have to actually lead uh, your own battle to clear your name uh, because that has to take place. I just don't think, uh, even it being six years later, I think five years from now, he's going to get criticized. Uh, he is going to have to undertake um, uh, a massive campaign for people to actually uh, look at the facts of what happened. Uh, if, if he says he doesn't deserve to get all the blame for what took place, He's going to have to fight that battle himself. I just don't see any program being able to hire him and not get any criticism as a result. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And that's what I've been thinking throughout this whole story. What has been his path to redemption publicly? Because he, there's a lot that he could have been doing on his own to help rebuild his reputation, and I haven't seen much especially with these lawsuits still pending. I think that if he's going to join a university uh, or of any sort again, he's going to have to come in at a lower level. I don't understand why he would just be given this head coaching spot, right? I mean, come in and start to it's, work it's, your it's, way it's, up. No, no, it's not a head coaching spot. In fact, uh, he even... Offensive coordinator. He even, taught, he even was a head coach for a couple of years uh, at a uh, high school. So uh, he's, not, okay. he's not coming back in as that. But again... What you're seeing here, folks, are saying in no capacity. I mean, look, he, he can come in uh, as an assistant coach. They're saying, no, you can't be on the staff at all. Yeah, and I, I look, this is where this is where we at where we're at nowadays. I mean, look what happened with Felicia Rashad and you know her impeccable reputation and the backlash she caught just for expressing a small level of support for Bill Cosby. So that Roman, you know, that great story at Howard turned into a scandal. And this is not even close to what Bryles has been involved in as a leader of men. Look at Juwan Howard just a couple of weeks, uh, you know, two, one or two weeks ago. People are talking about when you're responsible for leading people, what type of culture are you creating? And Bryles hasn't seemed to be able to create anything different wherever he goes. And this is just not that climate, Roland. People are going back nowadays and pulling up stuff you did in college, pulling up stuff you did in high school, social media things. They will not let you forget anything. And another point that you made, which is extremely important, is the fact that oftentimes individuals will get caught up in other issues that are larger university-wide, and the university is always going to take care of itself first particularly when it comes to dealing with us who might be on the staff as faculty or coaches, we're pretty much expendable. So Browse has a lot of work to do. I think, quite honestly, he needs to go into a non-sports space and really start to build a platform that's based on showing real respect for women and real respect for creating men who are leaders and leave the sports thing alone because this is never going to go away. It's just, like you said, five years from now, we're still going to be talking about it. So he needs to build his credibility somewhere else. He needs to get these lawsuits taken care of 
And he just needs to realize that when it comes to this issue, society is unforgiving. It's just not like how it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I think that is the case. And so, uh, again, uh, we were scheduled to actually have uh, Coach Hugh Jackson and Coach Art Bryles uh, on Roller Martin Unfiltered today uh, to go through all of these various issues. Uh, but shortly before uh, we went live, uh, we got the notice, uh, the official notice, I've actually known for 24 hours, uh, we got the official notice uh, that uh, Art Browse has stepped down as the Office of Coordinator at Grambling State University. Folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Oh, crazy as white people. What happens when you are a major executive at a makeup company? You made almost $10 million last year. You decide to get cute. And you post a racist meme. You about to lose your job. You about to lose your job. He ain't about, about to. He done lost his job. I'll explain next right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. Don't forget to support us in what we do, folks. Uh, and that is please join our Brina Funk fan club. Download our app, Black Star Network app. Download it on all the platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, uh, Roku, Amazon Fire, Xbox and Samsung TV. And of course, uh, you can also join you can also join our uh, Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support what we do, uh, and that is, of course, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingatsmartin.com. Uh, PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. You can also send a check of money order to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 202037. Uh, uh, I'll be right back. See you in a minute. a chair take your seat the black tape with me dr greg carr here on the black star network every week we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in join the conversation only on the black star network What's up? This your boy Ice Cube. Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and your wife. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
A New York man has finally been granted a new trial after maintaining his innocence for more than 24 years. Anthony Sims says he is serving time for a crime he did not commit. He was convicted in 1999 of killing a Chinese immigrant in Brooklyn. Sims says his friend was responsible for the shooting and ironically was a lone witness at the 1999 trial. Now a new witness's account has opened the doors for the new trial. No official date has been set. Also, folks, Missouri School Board reverses the decision to ban Tony Morris's book, Bluest Eyes. In January, the Wentzville School District banned the book after one parent complained about the book's content. A lawsuit was filed by the ACLU challenging the ruling, uh, demonstrating books by white heterosexual authors exploring the same subject matter remain available to students. Ten days later, the school board reversed the decision. This is one of many school districts trying to ban books white parents say are pushing critical race theory. Julian, uh, th these things are happening, and what's stupid to see these largely Republican legislators, these white legislators, uh, support this. One parent complains, and all of a sudden, oh my God, the world has ended. What shall we do? And so let's just start banning books. Again, these white folks are losing their minds. No, they never had minds. There was, what they're doing is sitting there clutching their pearls. Oh, it's so horrible that my child would learn about black people, that my child would learn about rape or incest. These people are so clueless that it's beyond ignorant, Roland. The fact is that the resistance has come. As a sister from Ukraine was talking earlier about the sh shifting demographics, not only in the United States, but also all over the world, as the demographics have shifted, White folks are clutching their pearls and saying, oh my, white supremacy is falling. Oh, hell yeah, white supremacy is falling. And that's why we have at Cal State LA, the second college of ethnic studies in the nation. That's why we have folks who are taking us from margin to center in the words of the late great bell hooks. That's why this is just nonsense. One parent should not be able to stop a book. Okay, tell your child they can't read the book if you want your child to be ignorant. But do not... Uh, sue the whole school system. We're putting an inordinate burden on the educational system when these vapid white parents are resisting reality. And that's what they're doing, is resisting reality. Uh, it's not critical race theory, it's culturally responsive teaching. That's what people are doing, because critical race theory is not taught in K-12. But this it's was their strategy. Omakongo, I kept telling people this. I said... Their strategy had nothing to do with critical race theory. It was to group anything and everything under that banner. Anything dealing with diversity, anything that's black, anything that's... That was their whole strategy. That's right. I mean, we're talking first grade books about Rosa Parks, books about Malala, like anything with black and brown they went for. I know one of these congressmen has a list of over 800 books that he wants to ban. And the sad part is, Roland, is that they are still winning. I'm in these schools every single day, K-12, to public charter, private schools. These teachers who I've been working with for years now, they're even scared to even think about introducing a lesson because of the backlash. I talked to one sixth grade teacher who said a parent told him, yeah, talk about Dr. King, that's cool, but don't talk about Malcolm. You know, he's one of the bad guys. And, you know, they feel so emboldened to be able to go and do this. And that particular teacher, it, he wasn't like, well, I'm going to teach both. He ended up doing it, but he was like, I don't know what to do because I don't want to lose my job. 
I don't want my school to end up as a social media hashtag. And these teachers are getting burned out because they don't feel like they're getting enough support. So with this story with the bluest eye, we have to understand that, and kudos to whoever fought to get that back on the shelves, but quite honestly, Roland, we have to do that for every single book in every county, yep. for every state, because they are not going to stop. And uh, I'm working with the American uh, Association of School Librarians right now, and they're telling me stories about how they're getting reported uh, for bringing up things. Like, people are looking at put, possibly putting cameras in classrooms in some of these schools. I'm going down to Kentucky in June to work with the librarians down there. This is a fight. And as soon as we drop our guard, we, we're losing because we dropped our guard. Yep. And now that we've seen where they're at with this, we can never let our guard get dropped again because they will ban everything. And now they're adding LGBTQ plus studies into all of this as well because they know, start with black people, and when you can get away with that, then we can lump it all in. We got to keep fighting every single day. And you're right, Roland, you've been warning us about this. Uh, and Jeff, look, when you look at uh, the folks who are behind me, Ida B. Wells Barnett, uh, when you see her, uh, Harry Belafonte celebrating his 95th birthday, will actually be in New York City broadcasting live tomorrow from the celebration. Of course, uh, James Baldwin as well. I mean, look, the bottom line is they do not want any of this. If you sitting here trying to stop Dr. King from being taught, oh, you can, you, you can forget James Baldwin. You can forget Ida B. Wells Barnett talking about uh, lynching, and you can certainly forget uh, the things that Harry Belafonte has been fighting for. Indeed, and this is something, I don't want us to take this too lightly, because this is something that's going on, and it's organized. Uh, it's an organized campaign. I was driving through St. Louis a few, week, few months ago, and as I was coming over the bridge, I was listening to, of all things, the Moody Bible Network, which I don't normally listen to, but something said, tune in today, and I heard a commercial for several organizations who were organizing parents, and when I say parents, white parents, around Christian values. And they were sending you to a website. I've lost the piece of paper I wrote the website down on. But the website was training you on how to speak using critical race theory to cover your true intentions, which is white supremacy. It was teaching you how to organize and to fill up the public speaker uh, mm -hmm. moments that they give you and they allow you at school boards and it was launching a training organization that was an institute to train people who have the same values. Once again, that quotation values has been here with us through the beginning of the show when we talked about Ukraine and the values of people versus uh, our people. But they're training people to run for and, and this was a quote, to take over local school boards. So when we see this level of organization, we have to be mindful that, as, as Omicongo said, we can't drop the ball on this because the other side is organized. And when you see these demonstrative uh, actions taking place at school boards, whether it's here in Davidson County or it's down the street at Williamson County, you have people there who are tying up the microphone time, who are talking about the books that they don't want their children to read. Then a reporter who's smart asks a person, how many children do you have in the school system? And they say, well, I don't have any kids. I'm just here speaking out, acting as if they're parents too. So when we talk about the bluest eye, when we talk about teaching history in the schools and just teaching factual history, we cannot allow ourselves to fall into a space 
uh, that a DJ here locally fell into when he said, oh, this is why we need a local, uh, we need critical race theory in the schools. No, stop using the terms that they are using yep. as a blanket term to erase right. us. Study what critical race theory is and what it's not. What's happening right now has nothing to do with critical race theory. It has to do with suppression and oppression and not telling our stories and erasing us from the history. Uh, same reason why I kept telling the Obama people, stop using Obamacare. Yes. I'm like, yes. you using their words. No, they ain't yes. listen. All right, y'all, you know what time it is. Girls are alive. Not I'm white. I got you, huh? Yeah, um, illegally selling water without a permit. On my property. Whoa! Hey! Give me your eyes. You don't live here. I'm uncomfortable. All right, y'all. John Dempsey, a longtime executive with Estee Lauder, executive vice president. Uh, last year, he made $9.6 million. Well, over the weekend, he decided to share a few memes, and this is one of the memes that John posted. Uh, you know, I don't use the N-word, but... Basically, what it said is, uh, my nigga Snuffy done got the Rona at a Chingy concert. Well, let's just say that caused a few problems. And so, therefore, Estee Lauder said, we've got a problem. Uh, do y'all have his apology on his Instagram page? Please pull the apology up. This is what he posted on his Instagram page after this thing went a little buck while he said that he uh, is terribly sorry and deeply ashamed that he hurt so many people when I made a terrible mistake of carelessly reposting a racist meme without reading it beforehand. There are not enough words to express my remorse and sorrow. Uh, and so he goes on and on and on how he's dedicated his life to what? Blah, blah, blah. Don't judge me. Nothing's awful mistake for my lifetime of words. Blah, 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 blah. Now, he, he, here's the problem, y'all. Here's the problem with what uh, doesn't work. So let me explain to you how uh, this thing works. In fact, um, it, 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 do, do y'all know how hard it is to actually repost a meme? Do y'all know it's not? Matter of fact, let me do it. Hold up. Let me see here. Let me see if I'm going to go here. So give me a second. I was about to load something. Um, uh, let me save this draft. So let me go over here. All right, so perfect example. So um, um, let me go over here. So you want y'all, it, it ain't, it's not hard. Uh, first of all, it ain't easy, okay? I don't know how to do it. So it's not easy. It's not easy. So let me do this here. Right. Uh, I didn't turn my monitor around. Uh, let me see if this works. Matter of fact, um, I'm going to do this here. Um, uh, let me do this here. Uh, I'm going to keep talking. I, I got to get the right device. Y'all, this is pretty hilarious for homeboy saying how difficult, uh, how, how he just feels so horribly. You know, he didn't read it beforehand. First of all, the only way he could have posted that thing is if he read it. So, yes. I mean, he would have had to actually read it. For some reason, I don't have the right device for my phone, damn it. Uh, so, so, understand this here. So, if you're going to do something, you got to literally copy. You got to copy the link on your phone. You then have to go to a repost app. 
and then it pops up. And then what happens, you have to then go to the next page to click download. Then you click share. Then it goes to your Instagram page. Then you decide whether you want to put it on your feed or on your storyline. Then you click that. Then it goes to the next page. And then you repost the content. Then you hit send. That's a whole lot of steps to do. Mm -hmm. a, a, a repost mm -hmm. of a meme on Instagram ain't like retweeting something on Twitter. Ain't even remotely the same. So to say, oh, I ain't know, my bad, I, <laughs> I ain't read it, pull it up again. <laughs> it's two lines. <laughs> it's sorry. 11 words. He said, I ain't read it. It's 11 words. No, you thought that shit was funny. I don't personally yeah. think it's funny. But I'm like, you cost yourself a $9.6 million a year job reposting that meme? You should have been fired for being stupid. <laughs> now, now, Julian, if you go to his page, his apology page, there's a whole bunch of black people on there. John, I've known you for quite some time. You're a great guy. I'm so sorry. I, look, I, I ain't so. Hey, hey, I ain't sorry. Now, Estee Lauder, like, oh, Lord, what we gonna do? They don't now, now they're gonna give $5 million to all kind of other, you know, all of a sudden write a check, <laughs> write a check. They're gonna give five million, you know, $5 million and stuff. I mean, you name it, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and again, uh, he was told, leave the company, Julian. He retired. So uh, I don't know if he'll get a golden parachute, but. I, I'm not buying this. I ain't read it. Come on. He read it. He read, like like you said. Well, you have had to teach me how to do stuff with my phone. We've been on set together. I am a internet idiot, and I own it. Uh, so you know, I couldn't do that. If I wanted to repost something, I couldn't do it. I had to get one of my youngest to come do it for me. He. It took work for him to do that. He was into that. That's what he thought, that's what he felt, and that's why he shared it. Frankly, I ain't buying no more Estee Lauder cosmetics. I don't care. Well, I didn't buy that baby up anyway. But I don't care that he apologized. What I care is that there's a culture of this kind of BS uh, in that company, that he felt free enough to do it. Even the, the, hoodest, the hoodiest clan member who works for a woke company knows that you don't do that. Even with your pointy hat, you know that you don't do that. He felt free to do it. And the only reason that he apologized is because the behind got busted. So you're right. This is what you call a crazy-ass white person who cost himself $10 million a year. And I hope that they did not give him parachute. But I hope sisters also say, we ain't buying that mess no more. Just We just have to start voting with our dollars. I, I, well, first of all, you're absolutely right. And, and, um, uh, and Jeff, look, for me, um, how I operate, um, it is very clear in terms of I, I don't want a lot of people to use the n-word uh, on my social sure. media page at all uh, and in fact when I'm reposting stuff if somebody has the n-word in something I'm reposting I don't so I'm trying to figure out dude you didn't know what the dot 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 was 
Like, well, you know, it was it was the N and the A. You ain't know what the dot 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 was. <laughs> and you did, and all of the black friends that are def are defending you on your uh, Twitter feed, they don't love you enough, and they aren't authentic enough to tell you what those two dots are. That's <laughs> if if you have legitimate black friends, they will tell you, "Hey, man, listen, don't do that. You may think it's funny, but don't do that." Uh, when we think about forgiveness, we talked about that a little bit earlier today, but I also think about what true forgiveness is, and not when you get caught, but when you have to make amends. When I work with people in the recovery community, when you see the movies, when people are sitting in a group, uh, the first thing they say is, my name is, fill in the blank, and I am, and they tell you what they're dealing with, and they're honest with it. That's an honest uh, understanding of who you are and where you are. I think we gotta move to a place where people can give honest and heartfelt apologies and just tell the truth. I will show you. I will I will demonstrate right now. My name is Reverend Jeff Obafemi Carr. And I will admit that perhaps because of some of my training and some of the pictures I've been seeing over the last five days, that when you put that picture of John Dempsey up, I thought it was Vladimir Putin in his office. And so I made a mistake, but they, they looked a lot alike to me when they were in that space. So listen, hey, maybe that's just me. I apologize for mixing them up when I saw the picture. But I also say that apologies have to come from a real place. Now, if John Dempsey would have said, I thought it was funny. Something's wrong with me, obviously. I need to talk to somebody. I need to get some psychological help. Something is wrong. You're going to get more traction if you're authentic and you admit what is really going on, then you will to give the standard canned response of, I didn't know, especially when you're in the internet age and everybody knows that you have to read and go through several steps to repost a meme. In terms of this golden parachute, I think language is important too. The thesis that comes from John Dempsey is, or that comes from Estee Lauder is, you got to go. Yeah. I, Antithesis I is, I want to stay. Listen to the language, though. The synthesis that we've heard is not he's fired. It's we agree. Mm -hmm. So there's some kind of deal that's been made where he's walking away with some kind of salary. So this goes to what uh, Sister Malvo said. We've got to make sure that we don't support companies like that who are going to be able to give people the space where they can agree to leave yep. as opposed to get the door slammed in their face. I'm a Congo. Absolutely. And, you know, Estee Lauder pledged to do so much after everything happened with George Floyd. I'm looking at uh, Forbes, and they're talking about they had 94% of its staff got racial bias courses. They had 9.2% new hiring that were filled by black people. Doesn't say if it was management, though. So, you know, but they talked about all of these things they're going to do, and this is a major setback for a company that has had a history of, of racial ignorance and bias, from their skin lightening cream to their hiring practices to their advertising. And so even if they've made some strides since 2020 with the George Floyd and their commitment to Black Lives Matter, they also had one of their heirs and board member, Ronald Lauder, contribute to the Trump campaign in 2020. So there's like one step forward, two step backwards. And we got to march with our, with our feet. We got to march with our dollars to make sure that they're called out and he should not have had the opportunity to resign like we're all saying he should have been fired. He doesn't get to walk away with millions for some ignorance like this. He said, there's not enough words to express my sorrow. There's not enough words on the meme. Like you said, 11 words. Read the thing and don't share that joint. So, uh, as you would think, talking about, again, 
what Estee Lauder's announced that they're going to do financially. Um, uh, I wasn't going to do this here, but I do want to segue into a, a real quick Where's Our Money segment. So roll it. been frozen out facing an extinction level event we don't fight this fight right now you're not going to have black on so i want y'all to go to my instagram page right now and i want you to click the logo uh click the photo where it says heb um, and, and the reason I want you to click that, not, not the control room, I'm talking about the people who are watching. I want you to click that because I want you all to understand how we are not fully and properly focused on the right thing. And so if you actually go to my page and you'll see me talking about HBO, excuse me, HEB, what you're going to see is you're going to see 103 likes. And then what you're going to see is you're going to see um, about nine or ten comments on this. Now, if you go back a little bit earlier, you're going to see a video that I posted from reposted from HBCU app of an alpha just stepping. It has 202,811 views. It has 623 comments. Now, my frat is getting it in, but one of the posts is a repost of an alpha stepping. The other post is me talking about how we potentially should be accessing more than a billion dollars from a company like HEB. So what got me to talking about this was this here. Um, I saw the story, this happened in November, but it's gotten some attention as well. So pull it up, please. The founder of, the chairman of HEB, Charles Butt, announced he's creating a $5 million endowed scholarship at Prairie View a University. Uh, that would result in $200,000 annually being awarded uh, for scholarships for students to attend, uh, who attend public high schools uh, in, in Texas. And this is absolutely important. Uh, I support it 100% uh, wholeheartedly. But I have consistently said on this show, I've consistently said on social media, that we spend way too much time praising white philanthropy and not spending enough time and in demanding investment in black-owned companies. So I want you to understand something here, folks, and I want you to listen to me very clearly. HEB does $28 billion annually in sales. I'm from Texas. It's a Texas uh, grocery store chain. $28 billion. So... This is a $5 million scholarship, which I absolutely support. But here's the question that we should be asking HEB and asking Kroger and asking every grocery store and asking every company, asking Nike, asking Adidas, asking all these companies, asking Estee Lauder, Lauder how much are you spending with black-owned companies? How much are you spending with black-owned media, black transportation companies? black catering companies, black PR companies, black event manager companies. See, what I need everybody watching to understand is somebody can give us $5 million for scholarships, very important, but if they're spending billions of dollars on an annual basis, 
Imagine then if, let's say, again, let's say uh, on the supply diversity side, let's say uh, the capacity was there to spend anywhere from 100 to, to $250 million annually with black-owned companies. That means over a five-year period, over a five-year period, anywhere from $500 million to $1.25 billion will be flowing to black-owned companies. Five million in scholarships, 500 million to 1.25 billion. Do, do y'all see what's wrong with this picture? We are elated with the scholarship. We are elated when they buy tables at our events. We are elated when there's a souvenir ad in the booklet. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that when we stop focusing on the big money, they got us on the small money. Now, I, I'm going to go here with something, and, and, and y'all know I do not use the N-word, but I'm only going to quote Don King in this. If you read Jack Newfell's book on Don King, Don King often screwed his uh, boxers, especially his black boxers. And so Don King understood the street mentality of his boxers. So what Don King would do is, Don King would give his boxers a wallet of cash with a rubber band around it. Don King called it, quote, nigga rich. So they from the street, so they driving around Wallet in their pocket. They go into the pool hall, they go into the bar, they pull that wide out, peeling off hundreds, feeling great. Don handed them a wide with 10 grand, but he owed them a million. They ignored the million and was happy with the 10. He tells a story in the book. Muhammad Ali was in the hospital. He was suing Don King for a million dollars. Don King didn't want to pay the million dollars, so Don King uh, put 50000 in a briefcase, gave it to a friend of Ali's who went to the hospital and said, Ali, you know what? You really shouldn't be suing, Brother Don. Y'all can work this thing out. You know what? Why don't you take this here and drop the lawsuit? So he opens the briefcase, and Ali is sitting in the hospital, and he sees $50,000 sitting in the briefcase. Ali... All right, man, takes the 50, but was suing Don for more than a million because he saw the 50. All I'm trying to say, black folks, is when these companies flash $250,000, $500,000, a million dollars at us, stop getting excited over that small money. And what you should be asking is, where the big money? What you should be saying is, if we get contracts on an annualized basis, hell, we can fund our own scholarships. See, we too often are falling for white philanthropy over black investment. And see, you got some Negroes out there who are sitting here saying, oh man, all you doing is begging these white folks for money. No, you know why? Because sisters, y'all buying Estee Lauder makeup. We shopping at H-E-B. 
We buy Toyotas. We use Amazon. We are tremendous consumers. All I'm trying to do is get us to change our views. So when I'm posting about big money, ain't it amazing how very few of us will like the will like that post, will comment on that post when I'm talking about billions of dollars, billions of dollars, yet if I posted about the cancellation of a so-called black show on a white network like I did our kind of people, my Lord, there will be hundreds of thousands of likes and thousands of comments, which means that we are focused on the wrong thing. We are that boxer who Don King gave a wad of money to. I'm just trying to tell y'all, if we want to change where we're going, we have to change this. And we've got to stop letting people get us with small money and we rejoice, yell, holler, and scream. And we don't ask the next question is, how much should we be getting? That's why, as Malcolm X said, and uh, as Giselle said, move Malcolm X, no, I'm not satisfied. It's way too many of us are satisfied with small money. Just saying, y'all might want to think about that. Going to a break, we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Avis Jones Weaver uh, about the kickoff of uh, Women's History Month, and also we'll talk about a black skin care company. Uh, we'll talk about uh, taking care of your black skin. Yeah, I know y'all think your D, you talk about a black don't crack, but some of y'all got some raggedy ass skin. So we're going to deal with that. You watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. Hi, I'm B.B. Winans. Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin. Folks, March is Women's History Month, and of course, there are a number of events, activities taking place all throughout the month. The focus uh, is on women. Now, now y'all know how I feel about this. Just like Black History Month, uh, the reality is you can focus on women uh, 30, uh, 365, seven days a week. Uh, but it's when uh, it, is, it is highlighted. Joining us right now, Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver, uh, who uh, joins us. Uh, Avis, uh, again, uh, you know, the, the opportunity is always to highlight stories that may not get told on a consistent basis uh, as well, but there certainly are challenges that black women face even when it's history, Women's History Month. Hell, just even getting black women be a part of the month. 
you got that right. <laughs> but what is really special about this Black History Month is it is one of the first where the first day of which uh, we recognize is Black Women's Appreciation Day. Actually, Girl Trek came up with that uh, name a couple of years ago, and so I'm excited about the first day of Black Women's Black of Women's History Month. If I'm already saying Black History Women's Month, but of Women's History Month because it's a day that's set aside specifically to appreciate Black women. And let's just be real, there's a lot to appreciate about Black women. Uh, and uh, and one of the things that on, in terms of on this day, I mean, so what is actually happening? What is being, uh, what is taking place? Uh, what is being done with programs, social media? What's going on? Absolutely. So, in recognition of Black Women's Appreciation Day, I'm actually holding an event called Do You, uh, A Revolution in Black Womanhood. And specifically, I'm focusing on the challenges that Black women face at work. Now, Black women face a very specific set of challenges at work. Uh, we are the most likely to say that we feel disrespected at work. Uh, we are the least likely to say that we have access to uh, quality time, so to speak, uh, with a senior level person in our job, which makes it very difficult for us to form the relationships that we need in order to climb that ladder. Uh, and we have, we're the least likely to say that we have a sponsor in our job. So all of those things make work very difficult for us, even though we're the most likely woman of all women to work. And so I'm having a specific event and which I'm really breaking down for the sisters around how to be able to leverage their power in the workplace and live a life that they love without compromising their authenticity and who they really are. Uh, and of course, uh, we're seeing that uh, take place uh, a lot. You deal with this in your book, uh, of course, how exceptional black women lead. Uh, yes. and, 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 what, and what we are seeing is we're seeing an increasing focus on leadership development, uh, on sisters, sisters also helping other sisters and developing them in what they do. Absolutely. And it's, it's absolutely necessary because let's just get real. Oftentimes when there are programs developed that focus on diversity, black women are left behind. When there are programs that are focused on gender diversity, black women are left behind. Uh, so it, it, is, it is a special need there that we need to focus on to make sure that our specific issues are addressed. And that's so important that we do that, that it's really um, my main reason for making sure that I'm holding this virtual event tomorrow, specifically speaking to black women about how to really not compromise who you are, but still be able to climb that ladder in terms of your uh, career aspirations, still be able to get paid what you're worth, which is a big thing for black women. We rarely get that. And then how are we able to do all of that while also creating a holistic life that we love? Too often, we're not even on our own to-do list. I argue that in order for you to really make the biggest gains in your life, both in terms of your career as well as when your personal life, you have to put your desires first. And so when you do that, everything else needs to fall in place. And so that's what I'll be talking about tomorrow. All right. Where is it going to take place? How can people watch? Absolutely. So people can go to blackwomanrevolution.com, singular, <laughs> blackwomanrevolution.com. You can get all the information about the event there. It's going to happen online, so you can join me for free virtually tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern. I look forward to going through all the deets with you then. All right, then. Avis, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, when we come back, we're going to talk about black skin. Yeah. Your black skin. Mm-hmm. Somebody take care of it. I told you, some of it's raggedy and ashy. 
You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Black Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. I thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roller. Hey, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? All right, folks, uh, the world of beauty and skin care is filled with myths and misinformation about black skin. Me out here all the time, black don't crack. Mm, some of y'all shit crack. Uh, and, of course, the struggle is to find what works for your black skin. It continues to grow despite efforts to diversify the industry. Oh, Congo, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep it real. Okay, you know that. Real. I'm, I'm going to keep it real. Some fo- Look, some people got some raggedy damn skin. Stop tripping. All right, so let's talk to Dr. Alita Simmons. She is the founder of Get the Skinny. Uh, she joins us there from where Jeff is in Nashville, Tennessee. Doc, how you doing? Good. How are you? All right, then. So, look, look you, got, you got folk running around here talking about black don't crack. But, you know, but... Look, we got some ashy people, some oily people. Uh, we got some folk with some jacked up acne and some other stuff. So let's just go ahead uh, and deal with some of this. Uh, when it first, the first thing is this notion that we do not sunburn. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> and that, that messes up your skin. It does. Sunburns put you at risk for skin cancer, although skin cancer is... Um, something that we don't have to deal with as often, but the increased number of skin bur- sunburns that you have can lead to increased risk of s- skin cancer down the line. All right, so now let's deal with this. What is hyperpigmentation? What is that? Hyperpigmentation is something that we call dark spots in lay terms. So it can come from many skin conditions like acne, eczema, psoriasis, or it can come from trauma to the skin. So let's say you got a burn or just a scrape on the knee, it may show up as a dark spot after it heals. Okay, so how do we deal with that? Because, I, okay, I, I, I have some of those issues because I play lots of golf and mosquitoes don't play. Uh, so all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, damn. And then of course, when they itch, you scratch and then it causes problems. And so uh, can you get rid of those dark spots? So it's twofold. Dark spots will get better with time for some people. Sunscreen will help dark spots not get darker and help them lighten, especially if it has iron oxide in it um, over time. And then we do have topical, oral, and um, chemical peels, lasers that will help with hyperpigmentation. But it just depends on what it's from and what type. So it's good to see a board certified dermatologist to categorize that. Because if it's in the surface of the skin, that may be easier to lighten. But it's if it's deeper in the dermis, which is underneath that top layer of skin, the pigment that's deposited there can be harder to improve. Got it. All right, so uh, when, when, okay, so here's a question they put in here, which 
Okay, gotta explain. <laughs> How do you figure out what type of skin you have? What the hell does that mean? So some people wanna know, is their skin oily? Is it dry? Is it a combination of the two? Or if it's in the middle, what people say normal, it's not oily or dry, it just feels regular. So in order to find out what type of skin you have, we kind of need to think about what you're already using. A lot of times people come into my office and they're putting like 10 different skin products on, right? Okay, so, so what, if you ain't, what if you ain't using nothing? Just plain water? Yeah. A lot of people do that. Cause I don't, look, I remember when I, look, when, I was, when I was at CNN, I was sitting in the chair and the makeup artist was like, oh my God, your skin is so great. What do you use? I was like, uh, nothing. I'm like, uh, I wash my hair and uh, so suds so roll down my face <laughs> and the water run across. She's like, oh, you don't do any kind of exfoliating? I'm like, hell no. I'm like, I ain't, we, don't do, we don't do all that. So again, so again and, and she's like, wow, but you have good skin. I'm like, yeah, thank mom and daddy. Yeah, genetics, and that's a blessing. That's a blessing. <laughs> so some people can just get away with just water. They don't need anything. Their skin stays clear with nothing. But for the rest of us, we need a good cleanser, moisturizer, and sunscreen during the day. So I say cleanse, moisturize, and protect. So to find out if you are using the right moisturizer, you want a, a, a cleanser that's going to help you um, after you wash your face about 30 minutes to an hour afterwards, that your skin feels regular. It doesn't feel dry. It doesn't feel oily in any places. If the opposite happens, you may need a new cleanser. And then you want to get a moisturizer in that same uh, framework. So if you have oily skin... Oh, oh, oh wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Now, we gotta, <laughs> okay, we got to get a cleanser. We got to get a moisturizer. <laughs> that, that's a whole lot of stuff we're doing. Uh, it's only three things. Just three. Okay, well, first of all, we already trying to brush our teeth. We already trying to comb <laughs> our hair. Now we're trying to moisturize. For, for, okay, how many times a day are we supposed to be doing this? Twice. So, so you can cut down Twice? your steps to two. So in the morning, you have a cleanser and your sunscreen that is also your moisturizer. Hold on, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. <laughs> we put sunscreen on in the morning? In the morning, after you wash your face. For what? If you're going outside, if you're sitting in front of the computer, for for black folks, we're using sunscreen for anti-aging, right? The sun can bring out brown spots in the skin. The sun causes wrinkles, and also kind of the breakdown of some of our support in the skin. Black may not crack as much, but it sags. So mm. sunscreen will help with the anti-aging process. So and at you night, you literally said put on sunscreen to sit in front of the computer. We're getting that blue light from the computer, and that blue light can cause some aging. Mm. I know. Who got? <laughs> all right, who, who the first set with questions? Who who uh, who want to go? Omakongo, Jeff, Julian, what y'all yeah, got? Yeah, I I I was wondering, um, Doctor Simmons, I really uh, appreciate your your work, and the the one thing I'm struggling with though, and I need some advice is your the, the myth about shea butter like real talk <laughs> like if the world's coming to an end they say you got to stock up on like beans and rice and water or whatever i'm adding shea butter to the list like that i got it by the pound in my house <laughs> and you're saying that it's not the wonder cream that has been built to the black community so what should well, we i know some negroes to... who swear shea butter is like <laughs> you know straight from jesus 
Absolutely. What are we supposed to do? This is true. Listen, that's a great question. What I tell my patients is if it's not broke, don't fix it. So if it's working for you, you can continue. But the problem comes is with people with skin problems like eczema or psoriasis or other conditions that cause inflammation in the skin. And that shea butter just sits on top. It may be breeding bacteria or other things that causes their skin condition to flare up. So for those patients, we recommend other moisturizers that may be beneficial to them along with medications to calm things down. So my philosophy is if you're using something and it's working for you and not causing you any problems, by all means, go for it. But if it's causing you some problems, you need to come see me so we can talk about it. Julian? Uh, yeah, sister, first of all, you look lovely. Your skin is beautiful. Uh, I want skin like that. Uh, <laughs> I, my thing, Omicongo stockpiles shea butter. I stockpile coconut oil, uh, which okay. I slather on my body on every occasion that I can. It's great for my feet. Uh, it's great for my hair. I'm not sure that it's so great for my face, but I love co coconut oil. Tell me the pros and cons of my coconut oil and should I be doing something different? So along the same lines as shea butter, coconut oil, shea butter, some things can, um, especially on the scalp for coconut oil, can be occlusive or clog clogging up the pores. So on the scalp, you may have more dandruff. On the face, you may find that it's causing you to have acne because it's clogging your pores. You want something, a moisturizer, that's not gonna clog your pores and lead to any problems. And some of these can, some of these products do that. So a good oil is jojoba oil. It's lighter and tends not to uh, cause acne and other problems. All right, Jeff. Yeah, man. Uh, first off, Dr. Simmons, thanks for everything that you do here in my home city. Read about you in Urbanite and seeing all the great work that you're doing to bring people into consciousness about skin and the work at Vanderbilt. Keep up the good work. Uh, that, that shea butter and that coconut oil, I tried using both of them on my scalp. I went out and worked out and sweat, and it broke me out in my face. So... Uh, th these kind of things, all of this depends on the skin you have. My mom lived to be 93. She had the skin of a 40-year-old, mm -hmm. and she put lard on her face growing up as a child. Lard? I can't do that. I, she lard? put lard on her face. Some of y'all know about that. They use lard for everything, including moisturizer and putting on their elbows and, and, and skin, and still came through... Some people just have the genetics. I got to make sure that I use the SP15 and make sure that I shave with a straight razor, all of that, or I'll have sensitive skin. But how much How much does diet work into this? Is diet a factor in good, healthy skin? And what do you recommend people do if they're wanting to make dietary changes that help with skin care? So for diet, the one thing that we, we do know is for acne, having a high glycemic uh, index diet will make your acne flare. So that's like a lot of white sugar, bread, cookies, sweets, um, that will tend to make your acne flare. We recommend a well-balanced diet overall for, you know, just general health. So, but if you're having a skin condition, we usually need to treat that from the outside or from the inside out. And sometimes that's not done uh, directly with changing your diet and that you actually need a treatment plan and a treatment regimen for that. And I just wanted to address one thing that you said about the SPF. We actually recommend SPF at least 30 
for for daily use and to reapply after a couple of hours. Now, uh, now, now, Doc, look, I know some black folk who swear by this. They, they slap Vaseline on everything. Now, <laughs> it's called petroleum jelly. Should we be putting Vaseline on our legs, knees, elbows, arm, face? Vaseline is fine. It can also be occlusive on the face. So if you're acne prone or you get milia, or, which are little tiny bumps around your eye from the skin being oily, you might not want to use Vaseline on your face. But I like, or petroleum jelly. I like petroleum jelly because it's cheap. And for patients who are looking for a good moisturizer that's going to stay with them, it's a good option, especially on your feet at night. Put that on there, put some socks on. It'll keep your feet moisturized. Um, so Vaseline, uh, petroleum jelly is also a go-to. Okay, is there a particular lotion that we should be using? First of all, I keep lotion with me at all times. I cannot stand ashy-ass people. When I say I cannot stand it, matter of fact, my niece is lucky I do not have immediate access to a photo and a video I shot when I had to teach my two nieces how to apply damn lotion. I got tired of their asses walking around my house ashy. I could not stand. Oh, no, if I, if, I, if I had the photo, oh, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about knees, like they were kicking flour. I can't stand, I cannot stand it. Uh, in fact, I, if my dad, my daddy, they work in the elections. He gonna watch this later. Yo, seriously, they were visiting me and I was about to leave and he said, <clears throat> He said, son, you going to the store? I go with you. I said, not with them damn knees. Uh-uh. You got to put some damn lotion on. I got bottles. I got large bottles in every room in my... I cannot stand it. And so is there... Now, I ain't going to see. I took the label off because they asses ain't paying me. So just understand uh, that I got the lotion uh, uh, with me. Uh, I keep one on the set and one here because we do ash check on my show. I ain't say no <laughs> ass check. Ash check. We look at them knuckles to see if we can't have... Julianne know, she know, we did my TV One show. I look down, I'm like, hey, stick your hands out, because we can't have no ashy damn hands on TV. So is there a particular lotion that we should be using, and what should it contain? There are lots of them out there, right? So if dry skin is a big problem for you, you may need one with an acid in it, like lactic acid or salicylic acid. Um, I also recommend creams, especially in the wintertime. And if it's really bad, we'll go back to that petroleum jelly or an ointment. So if we're talking about names, they are not paying me either. So a good hand cream is the Neutrogena Norwegian hand cream. It's going to stick with you. And when you wash your hands, you're not going to be immediately ashy afterwards mm -hmm. um, because it kind of keeps a layer as well as CeraVe SA cream. They have one for hand cream. They have one for the body. Um, sometimes you need a little help getting that dry skin off, and an acid in your moisturizer is going to help cure that ash for you. All I'm saying is, if your ass got flakes, you need to be using some lotion. <laughs> I can't. No, I y'all. Hey, look, y'all. Look, <laughs> Julian, you don't understand. You don't, you you don't understand. I'm talking about if you want if you want to irk my soul. <laughs> Roll up with some ashy damn feet, legs, ankles. <laughs> <laughs>
Let me give you, you know, another brother, tip. For what time I saw this brother, and he had on some gray slacks and some gray shoes. So I said, damn, he's matching. I thought he had on gray socks, but it was that. <laughs> See, right? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Doc, go ahead. Um, so a key to keeping your skin moisturized is moisturizing right after the shower. So pat dry, keep a little water on your skin. What moisturizer really is doing is sealing in the water in between your skin and the cream. So if you do it right after the shower while your skin is still damp, it's going to help lock in that moisture. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, if folks want to reach out to you uh, to get more tips, where should they go? If you want to reach out to me, contact me on social media at Get The Skinny. That's G-E-T-T-H-E-G-S-K-I-N-E. And that's also my website, GetTheSkinny.com. All right, then. Uh, Zadok, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much. And trust me, uh, you helped some folks uh, avert a crisis uh, with their raggedy skin. Thanks a bunch. Thank you for having me. All right. Man, y'all think I'm playing. I'm serious. I cannot stand... Look, Anthony, no. Anthony was direct me when we were in L.A. I said, Anthony, your ass don't put some damn lotion on them damn feet. I said, man, I'm going to cut you. Uh, I said, I, 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 y'all don't stand. I'm telling you. I, I cannot let my daddy sit in my house with some ashy feet. I can't do it. It ain't going to work. All right, y'all. Uh, I, can't, I can't do it. I'm telling you right now. That's how it works. Right. Make me laugh so hard. Julian, I'm telling you. I see you with some ashy hands. I'm like, you know, you light okay. skin, you get ashy. <laughs> I lotion in the morning and in the evening, and I stockpile coconut oil. <laughs> hey, all I'm saying, hey, hey, I, 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 look, look, Jeff. I know, I know you keep some damn oil, some oils with you. You probably, yeah, I, I got to you, 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 make some. Yo, you, 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 keep, you, you Jeff, you probably got like a whole like travel kit of incense and, <laughs> and oils. You, you probably got a whole black pack. You probably got a whole. You probably got like a pack. It's like 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 a like a, like some shea butter, some oils, and some incense. You know you do. Palo Santo for you, man. It'll heal your mind and your body. I keep it there ready. <laughs> y'all know. Y'all know. Y'all know. Just like an old black woman will pull out peppermint out of her out of her bag at church. Yes, why, why you crying, Julie? Why you crying, Julie? You cry. I'm packing up. Y'all You know I ain't lying. You know old black woman got peppermint. In her purse, Jeff, Jeff sure. got some oil and some incense, and I know, I know all that damn shea butter your ass got stocked up on Congo. I know you got like a travel kit. Yes, sir. No lie, no lie. I ain't playing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, studio rolling. That's what we will do. Each one of us when we get in person, we we'll just bring something and set up a shop there. We will bring our ash blockers. <laughs> Jeff and Amakongo go come here with them oil shea butter do some damn yoga alright y'all uh, we, we gotta go if y'all wanna of course uh, download the app please do so Black Star Network app uh, we're trying to hit 50,000 we already surpassed 30,000 Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV Android TV, Roku uh, Amazon Fire, Xbox, Samsung Smart TV, if y'all want to join our Green the Funk fan club, every dollar you give goes to support this show, we're asking uh, 20,000 of our fans every year to give at least 50 bucks. Uh, you can give more, give less. We appreciate every single dollar. Uh, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C. 20037. Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. All right, y'all. Tomorrow, this man right here, Harry Belafonte, uh, will be 95 years old. 
Uh, there's a huge celebration taking place tomorrow in New York City being organized by his daughter, Gina Belafonte. We are going to be broadcasting live from the venue, uh, covering the red carpet, celebrating Mr. B. Uh, and so we'll be there tomorrow in New York City. Uh, and don't forget, folks, today is the last day, the absolute last day for you to apply for the McDonald's HBCU scholarship, We're giving away seven $15,000 scholarships. Go to tmcf.org, tmcf.org. If you're going to be a junior or a senior in the fall, you can apply for this scholarship, any HBCU. And again, it's $15,000. It's in partnership uh, with me as, as well as Alpha Phi Alpha, celebrating our seven jewels, the founders, and our 115th anniversary. All right, folks, uh, that is it. I will see you tomorrow live from New York City. Celebrate 95th birthday of Mr. B, Harry Belafonte. I will see y'all then. Ho! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.